Greetings, Minecrafters, and welcome to Season 2, Episode 4, The Scarcity Mindset. So today we're going to talk about scarcity as a mindset. You know, we had touched on it, I think, way back in the beginning of Season 1 a little bit. But I think what's sort of inspiring me is I've been hearing so much from my colleagues about a scarcity of time, which is ironic because most of us are work- working virtually, at least partially. Um, and there are so many different ways to be scarce. And, you know, people jump right away to money, which, of course, is also true. Scarcity of, of not um, having enough money and all that that leads to. And there are so many other ways to experience scarcity uh, that I think it's really worth exploring. And also, scarcity as a mindset. Because I think of mindset almost like a colander, like we dump pasta into or vegetables and what stays, stays, and what goes, goes down the drain kind of thing. So it's it's our own cognitive filter. And that's really important when we're talking about the feeling, feeling of scarcity, because it's a feeling, right, that comes from thinking about scarcity and then leads us into behaving in a way that tries to, um, to, to get us kind of, you know, obsess and sometimes, you know, hoard, not necessarily stuff, but time or whatever. And this is such an important topic right now, um, you know, in general. And also, uh, as we continue to, you know, sprint this marathon of the pandemic, um, I think it's just a really important conversation to have. And there's a really good book that's out. It's called Scarcity. I remember that um, I think I was teaching, it was the uh, Community College of Vermont, I want to say, that actually purchased this for all of us because, um, you know, a lot of the demographics where I am in Vermont are, um, you know, socioeconomically compromised. And this is pre-pandemic. This was, I don't know, several years ago. And they bought this, they purchased this book for all of us, which was fabulous, so that we could try to get an idea of, um, obviously it wasn't all of our students, but certainly a good portion of them. And to kind of get a little bit more of an understanding of where they were coming from. And so the authors of scarcity are Sendhil Molanathan and Eldar Shafir. And again, we're going to stretch this as they do past the economics kind of scarcity. So, you know, the authors kind of start us off with explaining, you know, they say the consequence of having less than we want is simple. We are unhappy. The poorer we are, the fewer nice things we can afford, be it a house in a good school district or as little as salt and sugar to flavor our food. The busier we are, the less leisure time we can enjoy, be it watching television or spending time with our families. The fewer calories we can afford, the fewer foods we can savor, and so on. Here's the point right here, Minecrafters, okay? Having less is unpleasant. And it can have repercussions, for example, on, on health, safety, or education. And here's like the theme right here. Scarcity leads to dissatisfaction and struggle. You know, what also could have crept into my kind of inspiration zone here is I just uh, wrote a, a blog for Psychology Today, which is loads of fun. It's short and it's just fun. I'm really kind of enjoying that. And this one was about being zoomed out. You know, I've heard a lot lately and people using the word bandwidth and, you know, I have 5.5 hours on Zoom to look forward to today. And it's the irony here is, is many people who are fortunate, I should get a disclaimer, who are fortunate enough you know, to still have our jobs. Many people are working virtually um, and 
at least or at least partially. And and we're and I've heard so much lately. I'm zoomed out. I'm zoomed out. I can't stare at a screen for one more second. You know, like insinuating that they don't have any time to call their own. Um, you know, the need to take lots of breaks. And all of that makes sense. I have felt that myself for sure. And I think that it's really worth talking about because you know, people keep saying this phrase, a new normal, if there is such a thing. Um, and we will learn to navigate it for certain. We will learn to navigate it. And right now, however, I think we're still kind of in that learning how to navigate it. And I think it helps. Well, I know that it helps with awareness, no matter what we're talking about, to first have an awareness of what it is that's going on, you know, to really sit with ourselves and, you know, what are my thoughts about this? What am I, am I feeling trapped? And then, you know, often there's like the guilt because I hear some of my, I work with amazing people. They're just wonderful. And you can kind of hear the guilt sometimes. And I've caught myself, you know, am I whining about having five or six hours of Zoom, you know, being trapped in a screen and even using the word trapped and I know the people without jobs and, um, and I'm able to be home. And, and so there's the secondary emotion of guilt that kind of trails along with that as well. So my thoughts are with exploring this scarcity mindset to kind of explore it mindfully, of course, which means to look at it as, as much as we can objectively and not judge ourselves. You know, if we're feeling trapped, we're feeling trapped. We don't need to explain that to anybody. That's, those are what our feelings are. And that's okay right? That's okay. Uh, you know, we feel how we feel. And I think it's good to just kind of get a handle on that as far as why we're feeling this way, which means we take a further big leap backwards because the thoughts had to be there before we could feel it. And why are we thinking this way? Why are we thinking that we're feeling trapped or, um, you know, we're not, we're not getting what we need. We're not getting enough of what we truly need. Really important to look at that because not only does it affect our own well-being, when our well-being is affected, and especially if other people are dependent on us, parents out there, um, or also taking care of aging parents, partners, whatever, when we have other people dependent on us, you know, us having a shorter bandwidth, feeling scarcity, feeling burnt out at the extreme is going to affect each and every person in our lives, even the dog. Because here's the thing, scarcity obviously is, you know, like a physicality. It's about, you know, not having enough, you know, materially and basic needs wise, you know, food, electricity, everything like that. And it's also a mindset. Remember the colander thing. It really is a mindset that kind of captures us, captures our attention. And Sendhill and Eldar say that, you know, when scarcity captures our attention, it changes how we think, whether it is at the level of milliseconds, hours, or days and weeks. By staying top of mind, it affects what we notice, how we weigh our choices, how we deliberate, and ultimately what we decide and how we behave. So when the last time we kind of touched on this was way back when the world had just barely closed. And I think we were talking about this related to, you know, the missing toilet paper and how that was, you know, kind of triggering people, you know, that word can be overused sometimes, but in this case it was fitting kind of flipping the switch on people. You know, and, and I think we talked about how, you know, the toilet paper, the empty, empty rows in the, in the grocery store with toilet paper and paper towels and popcorn actually was really flipping the switch on people who had, experience scarcity in their lives in lots of different ways. And that was the point 
um, in, in, the, in that last episode, in the beginning of season one. And now I kind of want to expand um, past that. And that, that, at least for the time being, is sort of subsided and expand really to where we are as we emerge into re-entry and into um, so many of us working, working virtually. You know, and obviously when something affects overall how we think, which is what a mindset does, right? It's thereby affecting our judgment, our reasoning, and our ability to make decisions and problem solve. And this is very, very important because this is our everyday. So here's the thing. Scarcity, you know, in general, whether someone's impoverished, there's a, they're, they're too busy, they're lonely, um, we think of shortage of time, shortage of friends, shortage, shortage of material things and the basic needs. We set all that. And the deal is that scarcity, regardless of what it is we don't have enough of, leads to a shortage of bandwidth. And I have to say, especially, um, you know, where I teach, I've had so many of my wonderful colleagues. I mean, I hear this word, literally, I don't use the word every polarized word. It said the high majority of time, let's say, because I want to say every day, the high majority of days, I'm hearing at least, you know, one, two, three, four, five people use the word bandwidth in a regular sentence. And I find myself using it as well. And obviously, this relates to, you know, in technology, ironically, in a way too. It's the amount of, you know, kind of space and you know that we have for cognitive agility and 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 room to to breathe and move and make choices so really what's of interest this time around right as we're moving forward into this uh again quote unquote new normal i don't like that phrase is really how scarcity generates certain behaviors and how scarcity perpetuates and often amplifies itself through what we do when in a scarcity mindset so the authors of scarcity to give us a couple of examples here. And they say, imagine two students, Felix and Oscar. Felix spends a good amount of time on work due at the end of each week and turns in his assignments on time. He is busy but relaxed. Oscar, on the other hand, who is equally talented in taking the same classes, is crunched for time. He's working more hours, feels harried, and rushes to turn in his assignments late every week. Late every week. But what makes Oscar so much busier? He's not taking more classes. He is not less a less productive person. Instead, Oscar is simply one step behind. This is the key right here. He's working on last week's assignments. Unlike Felix, for whom the material is vivid because he just heard the lecture, Oscar takes extra time reminding himself of the class did last week and trying to keep it apart from, yet not forget, this morning's lecture. Oscar works harder, but gets no more work done. Oscar is one step behind. It's also interesting that, you know, I just kind of decided actually this morning to do the, this topic and maybe add some other, you know, subconscious drive because this is week three right now. Uh, in, in school, at least where I teach. And this is the week, and I, I have mostly first years, right? So they're just getting to Hogwarts kind of thing. And, you know, big eyes and new backpacks, new clothes, and, you know, excited. This year obviously is a little different, but thankfully there's still some of that excitement there. And they get there the first couple of weeks, and it's like, whoo this is college, and it's meeting people and, 
you know, going out and doing things again, limited this time, but still some of it's happening in, in moderation. And the newness is fun and exciting. And it's, it's all yay, yay, yay about college. Isn't this great? Giovanni's about to bark. My apologies. Giovanni's are very adorable. Uh, Golden Retriever is sitting here giving me emotional support. And rather than shut it down, I like to bring in the real. Um, hopefully you can envision this right now. So, uh, so back to the student example, you know, the first and second week, it's like, oh, this is fun. But it's also the first couple of weeks are, you know, easy to be quite frank. You know, we're kind of letting students get used to college and the whole experience, doing their laundry, finding the cafeteria, never mind all the new adjustments. And then the, by the time week three hits, it's like, whoa, and sometimes week four. And so I try to give them the heads up that, you know, the first two weeks have been great and college is still going to remain fun and exciting with all kinds of new opportunities. And, and I also kind of gently remind them repeatedly, actually, at least a few times to pay attention to their syllabi because I've been there, I think this is my 11th year and each and every year, no matter how much I remind them, they end up getting a couple steps behind in the third and fourth week because they just don't process. We got to stay on top of this. And they usually, you know, if they're full-time students, it's five classes. And all of a sudden, you know, the easy breezy couple of weeks comes to a screeching halt. And all of a sudden they've got all these, you know, you know, papers and projects that they just weren't quite ready for. And it fits beautifully with the example we just um, spoke about here. And the authors, uh, Sendhill and Eldar, gave another example. And they say, so you can be one step behind. You can also be one step behind with money. I certainly know that one for sure at 55 years old. Imagine now that Felix and, Oxer are, Felix and Oscar are farmers planting the same crop season after season. Felix uses his own savings to buy seed, fertilizer, and to cover living expenses until harvest time. Oscar borrows money for the same purposes. Just as Felix the student looked more relaxed, Felix the farmer now looks richer. Oscar has less to spend. Although both Felix and Oscar earn the same income, some of Oscar's goes to paying off the interest on his loan. Again, the problem is that Oscar is one step behind. Felix's income goes for investing for the next season. Oscar's income pays off last season's loan. And, you know, here's a, a disclaimer, because uh, if any of you have seen my TED Talks, too, I'm certainly not judging this one. And there are also with the money thing, it's, it's hard. And also there are certainly legitimate reasons we get behind because life can throw us curveballs and such like that. However, much of the time with scarcity in general, like with the student example, the money example, and we're about to get into the, um, you know, scarcity of time with this new virtual world many of us are living in, you know, legit things come up for sure. We're not saying that doesn't happen. And also if we're really honest with each other, a lot of this is of our own doing. This is so. This is the thing. So the authors talk about this contrast between Felix and Oscar, or maybe metaphorically stick yourself in there, um, because I can certainly do that. To, to you know, at fifty-five, I've definitely had you know phases of getting a step behind. There's, I it, honestly and humbly admit that to all of you. So I say this contrast between Felix and Oscar clarifies what we mean by a scarcity trap. Both face clear constraints, but Oscar is trapped into scarcity through his own behaviors. More generally, the scarcity trap is more than a shortage of physical resources. It is based on a misuse of those assets 
so that there is an effective shortage. It is constantly being one step behind, constantly paying off last month's expenses. Again, metaphorically, fill in the blank with whatever that means for you. It is a way of managing and using what you have so that it looks and feels like you have even less. An initial scarcity is compounded by the behaviors that magnify it. Just so true. And, you know, you know, in, in the earlier parts of my life when I couldn't seem to get this lesson once, so then, of course, the universe brings it back to you until you master it or at least get a little better. Then you kind of go on for a while doing well, at least for me. This is what was true for me way back when with money. And the universe kind of keeps throwing this lesson at you until you get it, right? You know, eventually it kind of gets gets better. But, you know, then you kick, at least for me, I just would kick myself like, really? You know, I, I kind of caved into that again. And, you know, eventually it gets better. And this is, you know, kind of what the authors say. They say that these two scenarios we just talked about illustrate how scarcity is not merely about physical resources. I think a lot of people think that, quite honestly. And they say in both cases, Felix and Oscar had the same resources available. Yet Oscar experiences scarcity, whereas Felix does not. In the first case, Felix and Oscar had the same amount of work and time. In the second, They have the same amount of land and income. Their different outcomes come from how those resources are deployed. And this is, you know, sometimes we have that conversation with ourselves when we're listening to something or reading something or watching something or whatever. And we're like, a duh, you know, I know that. And the irony there is we can have those a duh moments. And if we're honest with ourselves, we may know that on some level. It just may be on the back burner and, our behavior may not exactly be in sync with what we are quite sure we think we know. You know, I just really get that, especially with the with the finances. And, um, you know, the, this authors use the word poor a lot, but I don't think it really has to be, um, you know, so extreme, right? Because things in life, as we've discussed previously through all the, or many of these episodes, things happen generally in life on a spectrum. So, you know, there's the extreme end where basic needs aren't, aren't met and, you know, impoverished. And then there's, you know, the, the middle that maybe is comfortable and the, and the other end where people are well off. But there's obviously a whole range between impoverished and comfortable where people are, you know, basic needs might be met, but they're constantly just, you know, two, three, four steps behind, you know, and, and you know, feeling like they're just, uh, I can, right now I'm coming to a visual of, like being in a pool or body of water when you're completely underneath and all your mouth is is at the top, you know, kind of gasping for air. Or maybe your head's a little bit more out of water, but the fear is there that you might go under. Maybe your head's even more out of water, like up to your neck, but you're still looking around for some place to latch onto and grab on for security. There's a whole range, obviously, of spectrum of financial insecurity that still has varying degrees of fear and anxiety. And, you know, sort of understand how we sometimes manage to get stuck is one thing, right? And then we uh, sometimes not only get stuck, we end up sort of staying stuck. So it's really important to understand how that happens. And the authors talk about, um, you know, how we juggle things. Juggle, And I picture, we all picture, or maybe we don't all picture, I can't speak for all of you for sure. What comes to my mind I'm actually thinking, you know, when I was in Disney World, like 12, and they had this whole family of acrobats and jugglers, and they're throwing all kinds of 
you know, balls in the air and, you know, like bowling pin looking things, lots and lots in the air. And they did it with such grace, rarely if ever dropping anything. And it just, that's what comes to my mind. And it's how we, we juggle that kind of predicts um, the getting stuck thing. And so the authors say that juggling is why predictable events are treated like shocks. When you juggle, you tunnel I think they're worth, they're very you know focusing on here when you tunnel the balls that are about to drop and you neglect those high in the air when those balls suddenly descend they are news to the tunneled juggler a shock if you will an observer might see the ball coming down for quite some time as disinterested parties we can see school fees looming to people um, to people let's say impoverished juggling their finances. They only become real when they are imminent. So the authors of scarcity then say, you know, this way of managing scarcity leads to a messy balance sheet. As we reach repeatedly for the most proximate solution to the most immediate problem, over time, these short-term fixes create a complex web of commitments. The result is a messy patchwork of assets and obligations. So for the busy, which is what we're getting to now, right? Because I keep hearing this um, from my colleagues. For the busy, this means burdened and contorted schedules of the kind we are talking about in, um, when they first discuss this, actually, in the opening chapter, with near toppling piles of to-dos and double booked appointments. It's, it's, it's ironic, or just, um, wow, I just, just yesterday, because I've been hearing this so much from from the awesomes that I work with. And just yesterday, this, this colleague of mine who's, she's great. She's fabulous. And we, we, uh, we, she missed, we had those Google meets scheduled, you know, on the calendar. And it's a project we're working on. that's actually very exciting. I'm pumped to do it. And it was the second one that we missed. You know, just, she couldn't, she couldn't connect. She got behind. So she writes me this, this lovely, you know, very apologetic letter, which on my end wasn't even necessary. I mean, I totally get it. You know, bandwidth thing right now, like we said, but, I could tell that she just, you know, she was explaining and, and trying to convince me that she's she's usually so punctual, you know, believe me. Believe, and I do. I absolutely do believe her. She's great. I love her. And all of that secondary emotion, all that guilt, um, also, um, you know, feeling like she's trying to, you know, you know, reach that or maintain that professional bar and standard, and which she absolutely is. It's just the circumstances right now and being two, three, four steps behind and being, you know, gat, you know, that, that level of, you know, just the mouth sticking out of the water, you know, frantically trying just to get air in. I get it. I really get it. And, and, um, I could just really, I could really, really relate to how she was feeling in this, in this email. And so I'm sure lots and lots of you can relate, whether you're college students, because we kind of use that example whether you're young adults out in the workforce just getting started in a nutty, nutty time of history, I'm, you know, I, I can't imagine you can't relate because you're out there trying to prove yourselves and, and you're trying to get a handle on things. And while we have this fear-based energy going on with the masks and all these rules and um, it just, it's, it's a lot. And then, or where you're seasoned adults, like we're talking about, uh, my colleagues and being, you know, being having so much anxiety over trying to make this meet this professional bar and, and all these standards and expectations. And um, I, I just sure I'm sure probably many of you can relate. I'm thinking of the Google calendar. Uh, if, if 
if many of you have a Google calendar or you've got something that's similar or you're keeping track of things on your phone and, and with us, the Google calendar is super convenient and easy because you, you know, people's emails just pop up and you just can make appointments. The flip side of that is people can go into your calendar and make meetings for you which I'm guessing is why my, my, my wonderful colleague was completely overwhelmed. She was double booked. She said that because people can kind of go in and just make appointments for you, which can be super efficient and obviously super overwhelming. I mean, it's just, it's just so true. And the authors say this, it's just such a good comparison. They say missed deadlines are a lot like overdue bills, double booked meetings, which means of course, committing time you do not have are a lot like bounced checks which, you know, is spending money you do not have. It's, that's such a, oh my God, it's such a great analogy. The busier you are, the, hard, the greater the need to say no. The more indebted you are, the greater the need to not buy. Plans to escape sound reasoning, but prove hard to implement. They require constant vigilance about what to buy or not buy, right? Or to agree or not what not to what, what not to agree to, right? So when vigilance flags, the slightest temptation in time or in money can make you sink even deeper. You know, when they say that the psychology of scarcity is primitive and changing it from within can be hard. And they say that you don't really need to change the psychology though to have the right outcome. It's really more about um, changing the environment to counteract the psychology. And the authors say that we don't even need to change the environment drastically. So their examples are talking about a specific company, an example. I'm not going to go through all that. And this um, personal assistant to this president, it kind of comes in and knocks five minutes before our meeting's over. Let's, let's him or her, they, whoever, know the next one is coming. Because that is all so easy now, even just with a cell phone. We can have, we, there's a do not disturb button. There are, you know, infinite ways to set alarms. So really, um, we can t- we can have that you know assistant thing just with the technology and make it work for us. The same thing that's driving us a little crazy right now, we can make work for us. So it says meetings are still scheduled back to back, and this person was the president. Still tunnels through these meetings. All the quote unquote assistant does, let's say, cell phone alarm or whatever reminder. Does it? Uh, all the assistant does is stand in the way of that your little five-minute beep or whatever, preventing the psychology of scarcity from doing harm. You can think of it as akin to a rumble strip on the side of the highway. It's, it's a small change, yet it protects drivers against their wandering minds and fatigue. It's much easier than getting them to focus or to sleep more. This setting alarm thing, do not disturb button, is just one tip, and it's a really good idea. And another tip that would work also for you students listening who are overwhelmed with your learning management systems and all, all of that is to, uh, let's say, the Google Calendar or whatever else you use. Um, it, there are other ways to do this is to block out times for yourself, block out busy times and just put, put something in the title. You know, we want to be honest. We're not going to make stuff up. We can write busy or a meeting. You can have a meeting with your dog or God, you know, just meeting and block out some time, you know, whether that's wellness time, which is fantastic and, or you're actually working, you're planning or you're, let's say doing a podcast, for example. Okay. And block that out so that somebody can't, isn't thinking you're free because you're not. Okay. And kind of sticking 
you know, a, a meeting in there. And so that's another tip. I have a, a very good friend of, well, ours, um, who gave me a tip. Oh, my gosh, had to be 12 years ago. And there's a book about it, which I wish I could rattle off the title of because I don't have it in front of me. It was something like the four-minute work week or something like that. But the, the point is that his tip, because he's been implementing this for like 12 years, he works for, I forget, Google or Firefox now or one of those. And he said that this tip is so good. I actually just put it in the blog for psychology today is to set twice a day with a, you know, a, a conservative amount of time, maybe give yourself um, 10 minutes, 50, it depends on what, what your busy level is, right? Twice a day. That's on a schedule, like eight in the morning. And let's say two in the afternoon to check emails. This is a tough one because it's like, um, you know, we're just so tempted. It's like trying to hold in a sneeze to, to check emails, right? Wow, does that free up time. And if you have to start a little slower, not judging, with three times per day of 10 minutes, but the thing is to stick to it because it's so easy, especially working virtually, to you're on the computer anyway. Well, when somebody's having, you know, talking endlessly, super, one of those super boring, informative meetings that, you know, where you can tell by people's eyes when you're on Zoom, you can tell they're emailing or texting or something, right? We just, we're so tempted to dip in and check our email. Try very hard to stick stick to it. Again, start slow, do three, then down to two, and figure out, fig, figure out what that workable window is for you because you, you don't want to also create more anxiety with not having enough time. Make it, you know, play with it. Maybe you need 20 minutes twice a day, but the point is stick to it so that the time in between, you've created some cognitive freedom for yourself as well as being way more efficient with your time. You know, learning to say no, which has also become easier. You know, that's hard for a lot of people. We often come into into that with age. No can be just a fantastic word to embrace. It's healthy. You know, as long as we do it with respect, you know, and honesty and respect, right? And that's gotten so much easier with technology. We can simply decline an invitation. Don't even have to say something to anybody. Don't have to look at anybody. We can just decline an invitation for something. We're not, talk, we're not talking about obviously declining things that are, you know, essential for our jobs. I'm not no way am I trying to allude to being irresponsible. It's just that with this age of of technology and, and many of us working virtually, we've got to just say no to some of these virtual coffee breaks and virtual poetry readings or whatever. And and if the poetry is what you're looking forward to all day or all week, then go for it. Um, and then kind of filter through and decide what's important and what isn't because hacking away at the inessentials every day is just so important. You know, and really in 2020, for sure. I mean, just in, even outside of the pandemic, the world's just gotten so fast and overstimulating, right? Saturated with media, people can literally, uh, you know, catch us 24 seven. If we have a cell phone, it's gotten, it's gotten very overwhelming. And we kind of really have to step up and seize, you know, kind of seize some intentionality around our own well-being. We just have to do that. And because the thing is, the world's not going to get slower, right? The world's not going to get slower. We know that. It's not like, you know, next year we're going to have fewer emails happening or fewer text messages or, you know, cell phones are going to, you know, fall off the face of the earth. None of that's happening. So in order to adapt, really it's like comes down to, it's very Darwinian, adapt or die, right? Even if that's metaphorical for 
the die thing being metaphorical for just being completely miserable and burnt out, not much fun to be around, not enjoying, you know, your life. It's, it's going to take in this, in this crazy time right now, especially it's going to take, take courage and commitment to put some roadblocks up, some really healthy, healthy roadblocks up. That email thing works like a charm. Okay. Those are some really, really good tips for right now. Okay. So remember, hack away at the inessentials. This is just a good practice. And we mean, you know, I mean, what's totally inessential. You just don't need to do it. As far as the very well-intentioned virtual uh, coffee breaks, virtual happy hours, even we've had a couple of those and they were fun. You know, people have good intentions, but you might, but you might also get, or, and you might also get, you know, five, six, seven, or eight of them, depending. So even though they're all well-intentioned, they might all be fun. Choose one, just one, depending on your schedule, maybe two at the most, because what will happen is you'll look forward to it for one and you'll enjoy them for two. And for college students, not different with all the clubs going on. I remember that being one of the toughest challenges for me because I was interested in all of it. I just wanted to do everything. And same thing. You'll actually enjoy yourself if you choose only one or maybe two and look forward to it and do it well. If it involves, you know, any kind of skill set. Because when we spread ourselves thin, we get burnt out, cranky. We're not that much fun to be around and whatever it is, we just don't do it well. And then we end up going home with the flu. I mean, none of it's good. Or in this case, the Rona. Don't want to get burnt out. And the other thing, you know, of course, is mindfulness. You know, when we're busy, you know, zipping around, chasing down people's approval, you know, which is what it's really about, right? Making sure we check every box. We're at all nine virtual coffee breaks. I mean, do you really want it to say on your tombstone, she never missed a meeting or she never missed, you know, a virtual coffee break? Because here's the thing, you know, maybe try calling in well, you know, feeling too good. I'm not, I'm not encouraging irresponsibility. I'm encouraging good choice making, right? And well-being. Because this is it. You know, when we're walking around, you know, being ripped out of being mindful, that means our very valuable life minutes are being burned up, burned up and thrown away. When what we should be doing is spending these like cash, spend our life minutes like they're cash. Okay, and then there's a gratitude piece. And again, I don't, you know, ask my uh, Minecrafters to do things I don't do myself. The gratitude piece, there's a journal and that's super important to write it down. And also just if we're in that moment with let's say the context of what we're talking about, being zoomed out, too many virtual meetings, right? We can acknowledge that because we don't want to invalidate or minimize. Invalidate, wow, I'm feeling overwhelmed. I've gone through, as it seems, you know, one's with my boss, one's with my Somebody else who I can't miss, ones with, and really, there's not a lot of, you can't really trim the fat much today. Okay, then make a mental note of that. Carve out maybe at least 15 minutes for you to take a break in between or afterwards something and make a, you know, a, a commitment to yourself to trim the fat as much as you can, you know, tomorrow. I don't like to put anything off till tomorrow. I don't live that way. Um, but it's fine. Carve out a piece of today because today, this is the one today we have. This is it. Not coming back. Carve something out that, that you really want to do that makes your heart sing. And then the other thing is once we validate our feelings and carve some time out to, to sort of steer ourselves to a place of gratitude, because no matter how overwhelmed we are or, you know, anything like that with the virtual meetings or whatever's going on at your workplace, it's just so important to come to a place of gratitude where we say, you know what, even though I'm overwhelmed, thank you. I'm so grateful that I have a job right now. I'm so grateful 
that I have a job right now because there are many, many, many people who trade places with you in a New York second. Absolutely, especially right now. So the fact that we're still getting paychecks, those are still getting paychecks, big, big, big thank yous about that. You know, here's also the thing we talked about with gratitude before. We'll bring it back to our scarcity mindset topic today. Here's the thing. We know this to be true. Scarcity, that that chaotic catch-up energy, that just chaotic, you know, panic button, catch-up, frantic energy attracts more scarcity, more chaos, more catch-up mode, more, more you know, just manicky, just frantic energy. We know that to be true. So when we slow it down, we're going to we're going to kind of derail that. And with the gratitude piece, we also know that gratitude attracts more good things into our lives. So ideally, what we're really trying to acquire here and achieve, right, is balance. Or as I said to my Minecrafters, my students, um, we're trying to acquire or achieve, develop alignment, meaning that our insides match our outsides and that we really look forward to our day ahead when we wake up. Like, wow, I'm excited for this day. I am excited for this day. I'm excited to live my life. I'm grateful for my life. And on that note, I'm going to say thank you to all of you for listening. I think I mentioned last week we've we've got a little over half of my listeners are from the States. It's like 59% something. The rest of everybody all over the world, all over the world, it's just it's fantastic to have such a mix I think it's 41 or 42 countries represented at this point. So I'm going to give my best at this, okay? I'm going, to sh- I'm going to thank the country of Qatar today. Thank you to my Minecrafters, my listeners in Qatar. Shukran, okay? Shukran. Hopefully, I'm, I'm pronouncing that right because it's meant to be thank you. So, again, thank you so much, all of you, for listening. And on that note, this is Kimberly Quinn signing off from northern Vermont. Have a mindful day. Mm-hmm.